Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, and you're listening to Funding the Dream. My guest today has uh, been a co-host in the past, and I'm going to welcome him back, Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games. Jamie, thanks for joining me. Hey, Richard. I'm I'm really excited to be talking to you on, on the podcast for the first time in a long time. And in case someone is listening to this and they've never heard of me or you, just in case, I I run a company called Stonemeyer Games in St. Louis. I design some of our games. I develop others that are published by other people. And like you, I'm I. Even though I haven't been on Kickstarter in a while, I've been very passionate about crowdfunding and entrepreneurship, and I've written about it for a long time. You, uh, do you want to maybe reintroduce yourself, just in case this is the first time for somebody here? Yeah, on the that's show? a good. That's a good point. It's been a while. Um, so, <laughs> and I'm Richard Bliss, and I uh, have been hosting the podcast since 2011, and the go- goal has been to help you, our listeners, get insights into my where my guests can teach, explain. Uh, reveal, show how they failed, how they succeeded, things that are important based on their experience. And it's a wide, you know, Jamie, you know that I've had a wide range of guests from marketing mm-hmm. people. Seth Godin was on the show, so a well-known marketing person. I've had uh, some from a technical standpoint, so a wide range. And so, yeah, that's the whole concept. And what we wanted to talk about here was that there are the days when you and I first started talking about this have drastically changed when it comes to the wild west of crowdfunding, right? That it used to be just yeah. kind of wild open, wide open, and jump in there and and do your best. But that occasionally that works. But now it has become a major industry, and you more than anybody I know has taken the time to sit down and break this down into some fundamental components, and then put it to words so that people can understand some of the challenges that they're faced with. Tell us first as we start off. So I'll set the context. Your last Kickstarter campaign did uh, was Scythe. Like board game, and how much did it raise? Yeah, this was in uh, October, November of 2015, three years ago, and it ended up raising 1.8 million, which was very good at the time. It's still very good, uh, but there definitely have been some projects that, that have raised better, right? more than that: four million, seven million for the Seventh Continent. Yeah, yeah, four million mm-hmm. for Gloomhaven, seven million for uh, right, and so at, and then your project did very well, and then you kind of walked away from it, and. What was one of the things that then caused you to walk away from it? Well, so I, we successfully funded the project. Um, we were one of the, the fortunate project, projects where we, we basically had everything ready to go for the printer. So we stayed on schedule. We knew the schedule. We stayed on schedule. We delivered early um, in uh, May, June, July of, of 2016. And the game was very well received, very well reviewed. Backers loved it. More people wanted it. Everything went well. Um, but uh, there were a, f- a few key reasons I set away. I'll say them very briefly. One was I realized the major risk for fulfillment when, when you're sending games around the world, that if a company messes up and they mispack a thousand games, that's a problem, much bigger of a problem than if they're mispacking 10 games. Um, I realized the sheer amount of time that it was taking me to do that, opposed to running all the other aspects of my business. There was an emotional toll to it. I, it, it. Despite how well things were going, it was actually a really tough summer for me emotionally and personally, um, yeah, because directly you're, related to it. Because you're yeah. heavily mm-hmm. involved. One of the things that sets you apart is yeah. that you are heavily personally involved with talking to almost every person who has a comment or a yeah. question online. You're there in the forums, and, and you're you're involved with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – these projects are, are very personal to me. And my, my focus is on my backers and doing great things for my backers. But 
Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm just a guy sitting in my home office <laughs> reading messages and answering questions. So, uh, the, yeah, that makes me yeah. smile. That makes me with your cat. How many cat? One, two, with cat. my two cats. Yeah, <laughs> with your two cats, right? So, but right. So that was a bit of an emotional toll. What all? Because at some point you had to say, "I'm not doing this again." Yeah, it's a combination of those factors, a few other little things like retailer distributor relationships. I was worried about how our projects would endanger those in the long run. Um, I talked to my my co-founder Alan and uh, another uh, investor, someone who invested in our company on a, a small level, and we decided, mainly me, but they they supported my decision to say, "Let's step away from Kickstarter. Let's let's see if we can make this work." without Kickstarter, whether it be new expansions, new games, reprints, all these things. Um, see if we can be more of a traditional publisher, but still learn from what I did on, on my time on Kickstarter. And so you stepped away. Uh, you, the game, the company kept going, Stonemaier Games, and you've had a series of games mm-hmm. come out. Um, what's come out in the past three years? I know uh, uh, Charterstone came out. My Little Scythe came out. Yeah. And most recently, Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Which is a joint yeah. project with uh, uh, with Ted over Bezier. at uh, Bezier Games. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's been a good, uh, good, I guess, two and a half years. Um, we during my time on Kickstarter, we raised three point two million, and then since then, through various reprints, expansions of those new games, uh, our revenue has been around uh, around fourteen million total. And f- I mentioned that uh, maybe a little bit to brag. Someone actually asked me this the other day, are you just bragging when you see these numbers? And I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm, I think it's great. You should be proud of it. <laughs> well, part of it is also just a sign that there is life after Kickstarter. And I'm glad that we were able to find and that life and thrive after Kickstarter. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of it. Because in the early days, as I recall, uh, your approach was all in with Kickstarter. It was Kickstarter all in. Yeah. The, the concept yeah. of distribution, the concept of, the, of uh, getting the game out to manufacture, excuse me, to uh, distributors and retailers, that, that wasn't part of your original plan. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, there were times where I even debated not using distribution retailers at all, just using Amazon and online sales. Uh, yeah, the, and eventually it became a little bit more, a little bit more part of that plan. Like we had a, a reprint of Viticulture that just went to retailers and distributors, but it, that wasn't a big part of the plan. The, the plan was mostly to launch new stuff on Kickstarter and hopefully have some reprints later to sell to distributors. And so then that kind of flipped and then you went uh, mm-hmm. to the retailer model and then you made the decision to step away, uh, all those issues. But the post that you made recently was... If I return to Kickstarter, here's how I do it. And what yeah. kind of, what prompted this not second guessing, but this reflection on of looking back at Kickstarter and and going through the process of identifying what it would take to go back on there. I mean, there were a few different factors that played into it. Yeah, I really did, like, I still write about Kickstarter. I'm an avid backer. I fondly look back on those times as a, as a, as a Kickstarter creator. So I, every once in a while, I wonder what would it be like. But the main impetus here was. I realized that I've gotten to the point where even the thought of returning to Kickstarter, like every part of me says, no, like, why would you do that? I, I can do all these things. And many of them, I think I can do better than, than when I was using Kickstarter for it. That's not a slight against Kickstarter. It's just, I found some pretty good ways to, to grow and sustain our company. And I realized that that mindset, um, 
what probably wasn't, it probably isn't healthy for me as, as someone who's running a small business because I, I need to at least be able to see the merit in this model that is still working really well for other people. And I wanted to put myself in the shoes of someone who was, who was I was going to basically, I wanted to pretend that I was going to run a Kickstarter project so I could get back in the shoes of someone who saw that merit and try to learn more from it than I currently am. Does that make sense? It's a weird little thing to put well, out there. No, having known you for the years that I've known you, um, when I saw this, it made perfect sense because one of the things that has always set you apart in my mind is that you are willing to openly say, I don't know, and I want to find out, mm-hmm. right? And in this case, yeah. what I read was that you were making sure that you were not avoiding the trap of making an assumption on what you knew and then not even considering the possibility which could have limited then opportunities because you wouldn't even look at it, right? And so this was an opportunity to go exactly. back and reevaluate and say, am I missing something? And you did it in a very open and um, uh, honest as like saying, okay, I, I don't want to, but I will do my best. You know, it reminds me, Jamie, oftentimes when I hear somebody arguing, and maybe if it's even today's political world, that as you hear somebody mm-hmm. so uh, ardent about their position and how bad the opponent is, and then if you ask them to say, well, can you... Give me an, can you help me defend their position? Can you see any merit in there? And if oh, the person yeah. says no, no, they're completely wrong. Then you're like, well, I'm not sure I believe that you are right, really objective in your position. If you can't even see any right. merit on the other side. And that's what I saw what you were doing here is that, okay, I don't want to do this. But if I was to redo it, let me see what might be there. Now, did you learn anything in this exercise? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I was really surprised because even when I was writing the original post, I wrote a post on Tuesday or a Monday that I followed up on Thursday with how I do it. And on Monday, as I was writing it, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to write Thursday's post. I have some ideas, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. And then I got to Thursday and I, I was going, I like looked through all of my Kickstarter lessons and try to hit the, the big things, the rewards, the stretch goals, how I would do those things. And I got kind of excited doing it. I, I remembered what it's like to, to plan out this type of thing, to, to really hone your pitch for your project, for your product. And, uh, and I remembered what it was like to be in the throes of that, um, that creative ownership that you feel, that I feel as a backer, that I feel as a creator on Kickstarter. So it actually got me a little excited. Yeah, I was, I was happy to do it. Which, do I you guess, have any, uh, anything to jump in? Oh, yeah, wh- go ahead. Well, I was going to say what you just said was that that's a bit of an intangible, that emotional experience. Yeah. You talked about the stress and the impact and the drain on you, but there's also that you sometimes forget the euphoria of, uh, not to use a pun because that is one of your games, um, <laughs> but the, uh, right, that experience of, wow, I getting that high of just being right in the middle, which doesn't come through pushing your games out through distribution. Right, right. Right, but people yeah. giving you that feedback on a daily, minute-by-minute basis and seeing the success and watching that thing fund and seeing it exceed your expectations and, and seeing people rally around it. Yeah, there's a lot of emotional uh, aspect to that. I'll tell you what jumped yeah. out at me. As I read the, I read yeah. it Tuesday and then I read, um, I read the one you put out on Thursday. And what jumped out at me was that I, if I was a new creator, li- reading what you had just written – that I have to admit that I came away discouraged. Mm-hmm. That I came away completely overwhelmed by how much work it's going to take to launch a successful Kickstarter campaign. Flat yeah. out, just you're the, the, the post just kept going on and on. Not that you're too much, <laughs> 
but that I kept thinking, oh, okay, uh, no, there's more. Oh, no, no, here it comes. Oh, no, no, there's more. <laughs> and uh-huh. what it was was just how thorough you have approached every aspect, every step of this. And then if I'm a new person, I had to ask myself, I, I, can I even do this? Can I even put mm-hmm. this up and be successful? Or do I break this down and say, okay, step one, he said, do this. Okay, I'm going to do that. And then step two, or did yeah. you just simply lay out a blueprint? But even if it's a blueprint, what came away was this is a journey. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And then if I obviously want to be successful, I've got to put a heck of a lot more work into it than maybe I'm prepared to do. Right. Right. That's interesting. Um, the, the post wasn't necessarily geared towards new creators. I even caution people. Like if you're reading this, this is just how I would do it for Stonemeyer. I think other companies would, especially new creators would need to do it quite differently, but I can see how it would be intimidating even to go through this short list. Yeah. It kind of pales in comparison to the full Kickstarter lessons. I think there are 253 Kickstarter lessons now. This was maybe a 20 point bulleted list. Right. And this one was just like, oh my gosh. But here's the thing, (laughs) right? Here's the thing. If they want to be successful like Stonemaier Games and over the past two and a half years generate $14 million worth of sales, having had, you know, multiple multi million dollar Kickstarter projects and have a brand that's dominated in the industry that many people have heard about in games that continue to do well. Okay. If that's your goal, to be Jamie Stegmeyer, then here's the blueprint. Here's the first start. Here right. you go. Right? right. But if you if your goal is just uh, hey, I just want to have my game printed and have a copy of it so I can show my mother. Okay. Well, that's a whole different experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that jumped out to me. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this. As I was writing it, this is something that I wasn't prepared for until I got to Thursday and wrote it down. Um, but I was trying to. Uh, other than like the, the, the excitement that I would have for, to run a campaign and the creative ownership that backers would have, those are two very good things. I, uh, I was kind of thinking about it through the lens of, is Kickstarter the best way to help a company have a mega hit? Like, does it lay the foundation for a game to hit enough tables and be seen by enough people well beyond maybe what a company could do. Even a company like Stillmeyer Games with a pretty robust newsletter list at this point. Um, is that the way to, to lay that foundation for the, a long-term mega hit like size? Like, is this what we would need to do to do that? And is that the way to justify it to retailers, distributors to say, you know, sure, we're going to, we're going to take some of your business away um, in the short run, but in the long run, you might have another size and you're going to sell a lot of copies and a lot of expansions and a lot of accessories. And it's going to be worth it for you. Do you think, uh, what do you think about that? Well, I saw, yeah. Um, you do a, the advantage you have when you're talking to retailers is that you have data that says, mm-hmm. look, scythe. Yes. We put it out on Kickstarter. It generated one point something million dollars. And now you can't keep the, the game in your store. And you right. can say, now, whether you can prove there's causality, did the Kickstarter cause that or is it just a great game? But I think we've right. already touched on that. And that is if we circle back to what we were saying about the very thing that started to get you excited about what, as you wrote this, the emotional impact that happens when you launch a Kickstarter campaign for your backers. And you and I have talked about this in the past. When you have fans, it's so important to give them a chance to say thank you. 
mm-hmm. give them mm-hmm. a chance to express their gratitude for the impact you've had in your life. And on a personal for me, right, we're approaching 300 episodes of my podcast, and I'll have people reach out and tell me the emotional, the emotional experience they've had listening to 300 episodes of me talking to them. And right. I realize that it goes beyond just simply the technical details that were available, the content that came out of the podcast. There's emotional connection that happens there. And so the question might be, what, first of all, what causes a hit? And emotion mm-hmm. obviously has something to do with it. And can you capture that emotion in another venue? And right. my, I don't think so. I don't think you can capture that energy and emotion. It's not, and you can use terms like herd mentality mm-hmm. or groupthink, uh, wisdom of a crowd, but it starts to feed on itself. Uh, it becomes a right. self-sustaining, energizing thing. And then people start talking about it. Excuse me. And then when you hit the crazy numbers, right? Uh, Gloomhaven being at 4 million. Um, when you hit crazy numbers like that, then you, if you didn't get to be part of it, you want to be part of it. And right. Right. I hate to use a terrible analogy, but it's like the cannibals that used to eat the body, the parts of their opponents <laughs> because they believed that they could get a piece of it, right? That people want, uh-huh. they, you know what I mean? That's a terrible analogy, but they want, <laughs> they want a piece of it. And how do you give people a piece of your success? I can go in and buy um, a copy of Viticulture off the shelf, mm-hmm. but, it, but did any emotional connection happen between you and I to do that? Particularly your games that have come out and now show up on a shelf and somebody's never heard of your podcast, excuse me, they've never heard of this podcast, they've never read your things, they, they walk in and they see that game, Viticulture or Euphoria yeah. or whatever it might be. And they're like, oh, I'll buy this. And they take it home and they're like, oh, that was kind of cool. And then they put it back on the shelf. Was there an emotional connection that you were able to make with them that would allow them to go tell their friends? And some might believe, well, it's obviously it's the product. Well, I live in, I live in the tech world. And we all know that very seldom is it the product, right? Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. Apple sells a brand that you get a different experience. So there's my long-winded term that I don't think there's another way to capture that emotional connection to so many people that allows you then to carry that over that's my feedback i agree for the most part i will throw in one way that person who buys viticulture off the shelf they have no emotional connection other than maybe liking the game um the way they can get it and it takes more ownership on the person to actually do this but if they go like we have facebook groups for all of our games now and i'm very active on all of them so if that person does take the time to join that group they can get that ownership but it's more of a choice. And so it happens after the purchase rather than before it or as part of the purchase. So I think it's still possible, but it's, it's definitely not the same as on Kickstarter. Yeah, because you're talking about how – aren't you asking specifically how do you, can you generate a mega hit? Right, right. Well, and so let's, yeah. look at, let's look at the industry. I don't have enough experience. Maybe you do. Give, do we have any real-world examples that show right now a game that did exceptionally well that did not appear on Kickstarter? Is there a hot selling? Yeah, I'll pull up. Yeah, you can pull up Board Game Geek because we're about out of time. So if we pull up Board Game Geek and look at the hotness list, yeah, I mean the hotness list is dominated by Kickstarter. I'm also looking at the top ten games. Gloomhaven is number one. That was Kickstarter. Pandemic through the ages were not. Terraforming Mars was not. Twilight Struggle was not. Star Wars. Were... So there are actually quite a few hits in the top ten that were not on Kickstarter. Then you have Scythe. I don't know. I think the, well, at least the, the rankings here indicate a mix of both, and which I think is good. They're showing that the model is yeah. viable 
both ways. Well, pan- um, pandemic, so maybe it is possible. Pandemic's a perfect yeah. example, but pa- what had pandemic had going for it, it was the first in a category. It was the first right. breakout true. cooperative game that, right? It, so it was first. It's kind of like uh, uh, Dominion, right? The first right. in its category. And that, so yeah, if you're first in your category, then people word of mouth would cause saying, hey, have you checked out this game? Because it's something that you've never experienced before. Uh, right. So, uh, right. Yeah. Well, this is a great question. You know what? We're about out of time. I have one more. Can I ask one more quick question? Richard? Absolutely. I think this is, it's your time. So this is a, yeah. Um, so on the second blog entry I wrote on Thursday, I'm really curious what you think about this. And even if it's just a quick answer, um, I added a poll. I, I posted it. And then a few hours later, I was like, I should post a poll. And I posted a poll at the bottom of the post. So it doesn't have a lot of answers, but enough to raise some curiosity. And the poll says, would you like Stillmeyer Games to return to Kickstarter someday, even just for one project? And the results have really surprised me because uh, the 40% of people say yes, but 31% just say no. The last option is maybe, 28% say maybe. But I was, I'm genuinely surprised that 32% say no, we do not want some our games to return to Kickstarter someday. What do you think is behind that and what should I learn from that response, if anything? Why in the, I have no idea. Why would somebody <laughs> not want you to be on – what have you done on Kickstarter that uh, – wow. Because that would be – that's shocking to me as well, that less than half want you to be on less, – less than half definitively would want you to come back to Kickstarter. Uh, yeah. One would be that uh, – uh, now it's pure speculation on my part, so I've had a pro- t- chance. One would be Kickstarter fatigue. Okay, sure. Is that yeah. I don't want to have to go participate in Kickstarter anymore to get these games. And I, to be, I hate to say this on my own show, but I might be one of those candidates. Is that I look for your mm-hmm. games now. I don't want to go to Kickstarter to look for your games. I want to go to yeah. either the newsletter, your website, or my retail store. Because I don't yeah. want to be – because there's just so much. I don't have time to keep up. And even if you did put out a project uh, – I have another guest, uh, Howard Taylor, who's just uh, – you know, he's going to be on the show here. Um, the next couple of days and he's got a project that just went live and, and I'm realizing I'm not going to back his project. It's already funded, which is thrilling, but will I get the project? Yeah. Down the road, I'll get it, but I'm not, I'm not doing Kickstarter anymore. Uh, I'm waiting. And I'm Gloomhaven is another perfect example. Having Isaac on the show, uh, one of, um, one of my guests, the creator of Gloomhaven is I could get a copy uh, on Kickstarter, but I don't want to, and I and Jamie, I'm not sure I can articulate why I don't want to, but I really would rather just mm-hmm. wait to get it through distribution and retail now. Um, that I'm yeah. not in that urgency, and I wonder if that's what other people are saying. Is they're like, look, no, there's just too much, and I don't want to have to go out there. Just tell me when the game's coming out, where I can buy it, and I'm good. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I can see a certain amount of that. Whether or not I, I can't tell from this if they are relating that to Stillmeyer Games specifically or just Kickstarter fatigue in general, and maybe a mix of both. Oh, because now I'm going to have to ask myself: Would is that applied to other game companies? Would I like to? Yeah, I'll tell you my I'll tell you my biggest disappointment um, when it comes to the board game industry, and I've talked about this for a long time. Is I go into my local retailer on a very regular basis, two or three times a week, mm-hmm. sometimes. 
just for a few minutes. It happens to, I don't work, I work from home. It's easy. My, uh, my fiance and I are, she's into games and we'll go down and buy some card sleeves or something. And I know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of new games out there. And yet when I walk into my game store, I just see the same game companies and the same game products. And I don't see, I see very little turnover. I see very little diversity. I see very little, uh, opportunity and choice. And I just get tired of it. And I don't want to I'm just like, no, I just want to walk in and see, oh, hey, I'll try this one. And I'm very hesitant to try any new games that I'm just fine randomly picking off the shelf at my uh, local game store. So that's some frustration that I felt. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But I don't know if Kickstarter, but I'll tell you one thing I am looking forward to, and I can't wait that it comes out. Metal Minis for Scythe. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'll be our next. Yeah. And a shout out to Meeple Source. Yeah. A shout out to Meeple Source, a great partner of Stonemeyer Games. Mm-hmm. That I love going to Meeple Source and just finding some cool stuff. Right, Meeple's for some of my games, upgrading my components. Just so you know, Jamie, um, we play. What have we been playing? Pretty much any game we play, if it requires coins, we've got, there's video culture coins that are going in there. Almost <laughs> all of our games now are buying multiple. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid that I, you know, I have to, I'm a fan, obviously, but that's an interesting question about the Kickstarter. I personally would not want to see you do a Kickstarter now that I think about it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I, because of everything you sh- shared about how much work and time, and I know how much you put into your own company, that I'd want you to spend mm-hmm. that time actually developing good games and not necessarily building hype around the because the Kickstarter is all about yeah. the hype and the process and the, and the logistics and the operations. And I'd rather see you just spending your time continuing to make good games that I can buy and enjoy. I appreciate that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Don't worry about it. You don't have to go back to Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Answered. <laughs> all right. Jamie, I appreciate the time. Uh, you've been very generous with your time and I appreciate the opportunity to, to sit down. And if, if, uh, if possible, maybe we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the th- things that we see happening in the industry. What do you think? That sounds great. Thank you for your time and your, your thoughts and ad- advice and expertise as well, Richard. Not a problem. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Jamie... Uh, Jamie St- sorry. Stegmeyer. No, no, I knew that. I just wanted to call you Stonemeyer. <laughs> it's Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games. And uh, Jamie has been, uh, we've been talking about, if he was to come back to Kickstarter, what would take, what it would take? Visit his website, StonemeyerGames.com. Read what he has said. If you're looking to do a Kickstarter project, there's no better place to go other than to go buy his book on Amazon of what you can do to uh, do Kickstarter. Hopefully you've learned something and been inspired. I know I have. Thanks for listening. <laughs>